Well, good evening, church. It's really um, good to see you guys tonight. My name is Michael. If you haven't met before, uh, I'm one of the pastors of this church. Uh, before we go dive into Genesis 6, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll open up God's Word together. Let me pray. Um, dear Father God, we thank you that tonight we can come to church to worship you and to have fellowship with one another. And just pray that now as we come to your Word, that your Holy Spirit will help us to understand this part of the Bible better. Amen. Uh, every time I preach, I've been opening with a plain story. So tonight will be no different. I'll tell you guys that one of the leading disasters, one of the leading causes of disaster in aviation is complacency. When the pilot thinks it's just another day in the office and we're caught off guard. I'll talk to you guys tonight about uh, a Kogan Air Flight 3407. On the 12th of February 2009, a Kogan Air Bombardier Q400 was flying from New York to Buffalo, and on approach to Buffalo Airport, it crashed. Two pilots were showing signs of fatigue. One was complaining about a head cold, and the other was complaining about a long commute that she had, so she had to fly from the west coast of America to the east coast, just to work, start her day in the office. Now, unfortunately, this is not uncommon in the USA for regional pilots. And both were heard yearning constantly in a cockpit voice recorder. During the approach, they were chit-chatting. Instead of focusing on the instruments and the flight, they were talking. They were chatting about their daily life. The pilots had lowered their guard, and they were treating that this flight was just like any other. They were complacent to the events leading up to the accident. It was a cold winter evening. Now, the plane can only fly if the wings are clear of debris. It can only fly if the wings are clear of debris. But because it's so cold and the weather wasn't perfect, and so ice started to form on the wings. And as, as the ice forms, the lift that the wings can generate was reduced. And the speed then slowed down until it got so dangerously slow that it activated what we call a state shaker warning. What it means is the control column in the copy will start shaking very violently. This is the last line of defense of an impending stall. A stall happens when a plane can't fly anymore. The control column will be physically shaking. It will be an absolutely terrifying moment in the flight deck. The pilots had only seconds to act, only have a few seconds to act. During this time, the pilot must push the nose down and apply full power to gain speed in order to avoid a stolen crash. The pilots on a flight deck were confused. They were disorientated, and they did the exact opposite. They pulled the nose up. All 49 people on board died, and one person was also killed on the ground. Investigation found that the complacency of the pilots was the leading cause of the crash. Last week and the week before, Stuart spoke to us from Genesis 1, and two, and then chapter three, we've got creation, sin enter our world. After Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, the effect of sin is now affecting the world. Cain murdered Abel over jealousy and his inability to control his anger. Humankind was separated from God. They then had a third son, that's Seth. Seth is the one that carried the family tree over in Genesis 4, Genesis 5, and over 10 generations later, we have Noah, 
but thanks God verse. Let's look at um, verse, chapter 6 of verse 1 with me in your Bible. When human, being, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of the humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Now, sin is when we depend on ourselves instead of God. Sin is when we trust ourselves instead of trusting God. Here it tells us that, that they married any of them they chose. Who are they relying here? They're relying on on themselves. They rely on themselves. Now, it didn't stop there, the fact of sin. God now names human's life to 120 years. Now, what it means is God is not saying that everyone from now on only have 120 years to live, because we know that further down in the Bible, Abraham and Sarah live longer than that. But what it means is could be that God is saying they only have 120 years to live until the flood comes. These are the consequences of sin. The Lithuanian, they were a group of warriors, a giants. They were very tall people. They were very good at fighting, going to war. It tells us that this, the world was now filled with violence. Have a look at verse 5 with me. This is God's assessment to the world. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Sin is so entrenched in, a human, in our human beings. And God grieved our sin very, very deeply. As this feeling of, of profuse anger, disappointment, and sadness. It's a bit like, um, if for you guys who are parents here, a bit like when your kids have done something that is incredibly disappointing to you that you're incredibly disappointing to the action. And this is similar to how God is feeling right here. Verse 6 tells us that God is regretting making humankind. Now, that doesn't mean that God has changed his mind. Also, the Bible tells us that God doesn't change his mind like we do. But God is expressing his sorrow, his regret in creating humankind. He created them in his image. But instead, they're doing their own things. There's only evil in their life. And sin comes with consequences. God judges our sin. God is holy, but God will also judge our sin. Verse 7, it tells us this. God said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them the judgment will be complete destruction of creation. Complete destruction of creation. Now, God is holy, God is just, but God is also show, show grace and mercy. And God is going to show his grace and his mercy to one person, to Noah, because Noah had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Noah was by no means perfect, but what set him apart from others was his commitment to God. They will wholeheartedly follow God and love him. Verse 13, God said to Noah, this is like the one thing you should know before Noah. God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself an ark. So make yourself an ark. Who likes to go to Ikea here? 
and then Ikea love to say, lot many of you, oh, wrong, wrong audience. I, I love Ikea, I have to say. I think it's a, it's a great place. I actually think it's a very neat place. It's the way that Ikea could pack almost everything into just flat pack. Now, one of the sections I love to visit when I'm in Ikea is actually the section where they store all the flat pack. You, have to go, you go to the, to the warehouse in Ikea, they got a picture of the furniture. I love to see how they could turn that furniture, like could be a bookshelf, could be a bed or a table, into just flat pack. I think it's amazing. But Ikea, isn't Ikea? It's fun. You get to go through the maze. Uh, you got to go to the, um, to the restaurant, which I think is good food there too. You can go, to, go downstairs. You see the, uh, all the little um, items, that, all this stuff that you, you, you may or may not need, and then the warehouse. But then I think the real fun of Ikea begins is when you actually, when you got home, is when you start assembling the furniture. When you open the backpack, got the um, instruction manual, like that one here. Um, I think it's neat that there hasn't got a single word on it, yet the images can convey the meaning perfectly. I think it's quite neat. Now, Noah, right here, has his Ikea moment. Now, he had to follow God's instruction to build an ark that is big enough for him, for his sons, his wife, and his son's wives, and all the living creatures. I think we're often underestimating how big, enormous this project is. An ark is a big undertaking. And God then establishes covenant in verse 18. Now, a covenant is like an agreement, like a contract. And this is the first time that the word covenant appeared in the Bible. And it will certainly not be the last time. Now, so a covenant is an agreement, a contract, if you like, between God and humankind. And in this case, between God and Noah. Now, a covenant goes both ways. God will deliver a promise um, that he will keep Noah, his families, and everything in the ark safe, as long as Noah does one thing, which is to build the ark as God commanded. So Noah, right now, he had a choice. He had a decision to make. He could either obey God and listen to the warning, take care of the warning, or he could ignore God. Now, the ark was huge. It wasn't built overnight. Um, I think, for me personally, I think sometimes I underestimated how big the project is. The ark wasn't built overnight. Noah will have to gather all the timber and then building the outside of the ark and then fitting in the inside of the ark. Now, the ark in today's term will be 135 meters long, 23 meters wide, and 14 meters high. It will be about 22,000 tons of displacement. What it means is it's going to be a huge ship, a huge boat. It will take months, if not years, to build. And the ark will also have to function like a modern-day cruise ship, maybe without the fun and entertainment. But imagine it's an enormous undertaking that Noah has to build this ark. Yes, you accommodate Noah, his families, and all the animals for 370 days. 370 days. There's a year and 10 days to build an ark to fit all the animal and his family in for that long. Now imagine, as Noah started building the ark, imagine the people around him. Imagine their reaction, seeing him building this ridiculous structure. What would you do if you were one of the people around Noah when he was building the structure? They would have laughed, maybe they would laugh at him, ridicule him. But Noah wasn't complacent. He followed God's command to save him and his family from the impending flood. 
Every day was a day closer to God's judgment. Every day was a day closer to God's judgment. In the New Testament, 1 Peter tells us this, that God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through waters. God waited patiently. Those who trusted God by faith, they were bought the ark and they were saved. But to those who ignore God, they were destroyed by the flood of God's judgment. Now, Noah's ark is a very popular Sunday school story. It appears in many, many children's um, storybook because this story is a fantastic story. Um, it's, it's, a, it's read like a fairy tale uh, with many animals involved, and most of all, got a happy ending. We know there's a happy ending for Noah, but I think much more importantly, it tells us about God's character. It helps us to understand God's character. And understanding God's character is essential to understand this story and also the rest of the Bible. Our God is always in control. He was always in control during Noah's time. He is in control now today. Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. God said, seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe away from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. So God said, in seven days, he himself would send rain. And then he will wipe away every living creature on earth. And in this covenant, Noah did his part. Verse 5, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. God sent the flood in his judgment, but God, in his grace and mercy, he preserved life. He preserved a remnant. God is holy, but God also shows his grace to those who trust him. The destruction outside the ark was total and complete. Make no mistake, the destruction was total and complete. We have creation in Genesis 1 and 2. We have the 4, Genesis 3. And now Noah, we have uncreation. We have uncreation. Chapter 7, verse 22. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostril died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The destruction total and complete. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Remember, everything except for those in the ark was wiped out. Now, the destruction didn't get out of hand. God was in control the whole time. None of this was outside of his control. God knew when to stop the flood. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, that is the turning point of the story. It tells us this, but God remember Noah, and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. God remembered Noah. Now, it doesn't mean that God forgot about Noah completely, and then he suddenly remembered him. It doesn't mean that. God is not forgetful like we are sometimes. But God is showing that God is a trustworthy covenant partner, and it was time for him to deliver his promise to Noah. God sends the flood, and he stopped the flood. Our servant God is always in control. He is always in full control. 
In contrast, back in the, when the Bible, this Bible was written, uh, in the ancient Near East, in the Babylonian culture, they have, a, have their own um, creation and a flood account. Uh, so we read about Christian story in the Bible, we saw how God is the one that made everything, um, and we were making his image, and we read about Noah now. But in the Babylonian culture, they have their own creation and a flood account. And their account tells us a very different side, a very different story of what their gods is like. Let's have a look with me on the slide on the screen. Now, for a start, in the Babylonian culture, there was more than one god. There's many, many, many gods uh, in the culture. And the flood began because their different gods argue because of the overpopulation of the world, because they made too many people. So they argue because of the overpopulation of the world. There was no mercy in it. And when they sent the flood, they were horrified by the result of the flood. They sent the water, but they couldn't control the damage it was going to do. They were, it was out of control. They were horrified. And they also have a Noah figure, uh, which his name is on the screen. It's called the Unipistum, whatever his name is. Their, Noah, their figure of Noah was only saved because he happened to worship the God that disagreed with the flood. He was saved, not by grace, but by luck. And their gods, they were in control. In contrast, our God of the Bible was always in control. He was always in control. He was committed to preserve life. He was committed to save life. People sin. God judged their sin, but then it comes grace. Noah was in the ark for 370 days. The flood is a significant part of the story. Let's again go beyond the Sunday school stuff. I want to show you guys the next story. Now, so in creation, chapter 1, Stuart told us that in the beginning, there was nothing. It was just watery chaos. And then God gave order. God put order into our world by his speaking word. And then God created living things to fill the earth, the birds, the animals, the fish, and then his human, who was made in his image. And then God commanded human, God commanded humankind, Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth. That is our creation story. But now, right here in, Noah, in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, we have seen uncreation, where it goes back to watery chaos again because of the flood. Everything was wiped out. But afterwards, God put order into our world again. When God opened the ark, door of the ark, Noah and his family and animals came out. They were living things. God preserved life. And in chapter 9, God commanded Noah to be fruitful and to multiply again. To be fruitful and to multiply again. So we have creation, we have uncreation, and now we have recreation. This is like starting a clean slate, a new chance at a fresh start for creation. Now, Noah, after he came out of the ark, his first act of leaving the ark was unsurprisingly for God. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 tells us this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, the burnt offering is a thanksgiving offering for salvation. It's a thanksgiving offering for salvation. 
Noah giving thanks to God for saving him and his family and all the animals on board. His sacrifice was accepted, and then God made a threefold commitment to Noah. In verse 21, continuing on, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of human hearts is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Who was here last night for their men at midnight? You know what the place in Roma is in, in, in our time today? It's when I sit next to the barbecue, while we're cooking the lamb in the barbecue, that smell, that I think is a pleasing aroma for us. And you can kind of imagine what that is in the Bible here, that God smells no sacrifice, it was a pleasing aroma for him. And then God said that despite our sin, never again will God destroy the earth by flood. God promised right here that never again will he destroy the earth again by flood, by water. The living things again and order will be maintained. Day and night would never cease. See, only a God who is in full control of the universe could make a promise like this. God is just, but after judgment comes grace and restoration. In his covenant with Noah, there are recreation, protection, and sustenance. Recreation, the first one, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Protection. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. And sustenance, God sustain us. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I'll give you everything. In Genesis 2, God gave Adam and Eve all the plants they could eat for food. But now, from this chapter on, God um, has given meat to human God to eat as well for food. Now, God's talking about blood. Blood is a symbol of life in the Bible. And human blood is especially valuable because we are the only species that are made in God's image. After the flood, it's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. It's a renewal of creation. It's a recreation here. And then God seals his covenant with Noah in Genesis 9, 9 to 11. Let's have a look with me of the scale of this covenant. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God's concern here is for all creation and all generations. For all creations and for all the generations to come. This covenant is not just for Noah, but for us today too. And then God signed this covenant with the sign of rainbow. Now, the rainbow is a very important sign of the Bible. In recent times, it has been used by other movements, um, as we know. But remember, friends, that the rainbow is a significant part of the Bible because it reminds us that God has made a covenant with Noah, that in our sin, 
God judged the world, but then afterwards, there's grace and restoration. Verse 13, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the signs of the covenant between me and the earth. This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. See, God is still deeply involved with his creation today, and God is still deeply caring about his creation. God takes sins very seriously, and Noah was saved by faith. Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, who warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. People around Noah's time, they were complacent and they were judged. Are we complacent about our sins today? Are the people around us complacent about their sins? Is our world any different to Noah's? We may have technology today, we have buildings, we have cars, we have planes, we have our phones, but is it any different to Noah's time, where every inclination of the thoughts of the human's heart was only evil all the time? Sin still remains in our world, and here's a warning for us. Fast forward to the New Testament. So let's jump from Genesis to go to the New Testament, to the book of 2 Peter. Tell us this, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. The warning for us today from Noah is, not be complacent about our sin. Noah and his family were saved because of his faith. God has provided an ark for Noah and his family, and they were saved by going on board this ark. And God has also today provided us another ark. One that doesn't require assembly, because it's already been done. In the form of Jesus, down the cross for us, we're living in a new covenant today. Instead of the rainbow, we now have the cross. And the Bible tells us this, Jesus will come back to judge the world. Jesus will come back to judge our sins. It tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Here in the Old Testament, God sent Jesus to, on the cross for, to die on the cross for us, and now we're living the last days where judgment day will come at any time. Are we complacent about our sin? But God is holding on the judgment day because God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with us, and God is giving us time. The question then is, will you come on board the new ark that is Jesus? Our church's mission is about giving the message of new life and living the message of new life. We are called to be a faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring Christian in this world on this last day. Have you repent of your sin? Have you turned to Jesus and come on board the ark that is Jesus so that you too will be saved? 
or are you still complacent about your sin? Now is the time to live the message of new life. If you have come on board the ark already, then the next question is, who can you give the message of new life to? The time to act is now. Who can remember what is the vision of our church? We long to life in Jesus come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest for their salvation, the good of the community, and the glory of God. We want to live the message of new life. We want to share the message of new life to the people around us because there's no complacency about sin. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that you are always in control and you are just and holy. We thank you that for the grace that you have shown to Noah and to us today through Jesus. Please help us don't be complacent about our sin. And we pray that more and more people will join your ark and be saved. Amen. Uh, questions without notice. Are there any questions? <laughs> Just, just in uh, uh, chapter 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful. Sorry, Peter, just, I can't. Oops, where were you? Yeah, can you speak in the mic? Yeah, yeah. The, son, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. Yeah. Who are the sons who of God? Who are they? Um, we're not exactly sure. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us who they are. Um, but some people think that it could be the angels. Um, but I think it is highly unlikely um, because angels, they don't marry. Mark 12 tells us this. Angels can't marry. Um, so another interpretation is they could be the descendants of Seth. Um, so they are basically there are other human kinds on earth, um, other descendants of Seth that did whatever they want to do. So that is a more likely answer, I think, um, that there's just other people on earth, other descendants of Seth, rather than the angels. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, just thinking about what he said, I'll never flood the earth again like day, night. Yeah. Um, like never, like never see. So we know the world will end. I don't know, there's in the Bible talk about how there will be no darkness, that the, Jesus' light will be the light, yeah. all we need. Yeah. Uh, maybe that was just the language he was using, saying I'm not for that yeah. moment, but yeah. Yeah, I think the day and night is a, um, it, I thought the Bible is a running theme of day and night. Um, light during the day is God's presence with us, and night is his absence. Mm. I think God has promised that for those who have faith in him, they will all, his presence will always be there for them. Mm. Um, so he's promised that his people, they will always be there for them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It makes you wonder all those people that, were sinful, like, was there no hope for them? Mm, like, yeah. they've, they've all been flooded, that's yeah. it, and that's, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's, yeah, about I think for us today is not to be complacent, like, just take care of the warning. I think for us today is, what, we're the year 2019 now, uh, I think we can get complacent with our life, with mm. our everyday life, we do the same thing, we make plans for the future, and I, I don't think that the judgment is something we think about every day as Christians. Mm. Um, but the warning in this Bible is real, of this passage is real. 
that God will come back and judge us, like He did in Noah's time. Mm. Um, like God said to Noah that um, that the human's life on earth will be 120 years, and it's a long time for us today. Mm. What it'll be 2,100 and I don't know how many years of that. Um, mm. 29 of 39. Mm. Uh, so we can have this thinking, oh, we just life goes on as normal. Mm. But two Peter wants us that God will come back to judge us and will catch us by surprise. Mm. Yeah. No, thank you. I saw today that 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 recreation is like my salvation. Yeah, like yeah. Your yeah. life has been recreated yeah. in Christ. Yeah. yeah. And we've got this eternal nice new life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah.